listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Most of us have been to a party or a wedding reception where there is dancing. And like many of you, I, I love these times of joy and celebration. I, I love it when the music is playing, the people are feeling it, and they're all moving to the rhythm. But there have been times during these parties that I take a break from the dance floor, and I, I start watching the action, and that one person catches my eye. You know who it is. It's that person who ain't got no rhythm. Their arms are flailing, their bodies jerking, and, they, and they're completely out of sync with the music. Now, here's the thing. Everybody recognizes that having rhythm is desirable. And if faced with a choice between having rhythm and not having rhythm, all of us would choose to have rhythm. Everybody wants to be able to move with the music. And in my experience, when I see someone who's a really good dancer, it makes me want to dance myself. I want to get into it with them. Nobody wants to step up to the soul train line and look like a rhythmless crazy person. We all want to be in step with the rhythm of the music. It could be said that the gospel, the story of God, is like music that's playing in the world. We're surrounded by the goodness, the truth, and the beauty of the Lord that is revealed both in creation and in redemption. The song of God is playing throughout the world. But what we recognize as desirable on the dance floor, it's often strangely missing from our spirituality. We might say that many of us ain't got no rhythm. Our arms are flailing, our bodies are jerking, and we're completely out of sync with the music. And the result is that much of our Christianity is unchristian. We have no rhythm because we have no rhythms. We have no rhythm. We're out of step with God's music because we have no rhythms. The historic Christian practices or disciplines are the dance moves that help us to get in sync with the Lord. And if what you call your spiritual life has ever felt dry, if you've ever felt spiritually stuck, like you're spinning your wheels, if you've ever tried to figure out how to deepen or enrich your life with God, this series is for you. We, we are starting a new series for, the, for today and, and for the next few weeks we're going to be working through a series on the spiritual practices, the, the disciplines of the Christian life. And this series is going to be called For the Life of the World. And today we're going to frame up these practices. Before we get into the practices specifically and begin to lay them out and, and unpack each of the practices, I want to frame up the practices, these Christian disciplines, with a key passage from the book of Isaiah this morning. And we're going to approach this text through two points. We're going to see the problem with our practices and the priority in our practices. The problem with our practices and the priority in our practices. So let's look at our first point. The problem with our practices. Now, if you look at verse 1, our passage begins with the Lord's call 
to the prophet Isaiah to announce to the people of God their transgression and their sin. But what follows, if you're reading the text, if you're following along with me, what follows might initially take us off guard. Because it appears like the people of God are maintaining their spiritual practices and disciplines, and they're doing the things that any of us would endorse as important things in life with God. Look at verses 2 through 3 with me, and just no, I'm just going to pick the phrases out. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. They attend worship. They study their faith. They know theology. They ask of me righteous judgments. They pray. They, They regularly pray. Notice the word daily in there. They delight to draw near to me. They bring their sacrifice and offering before God. Like they're making, they are, they're giving their generosity, as it were, for the sake of their spiritual benefit. They fasted and humbled themselves. There's piety here. There is a real focus on piety reflected in verses two through three. This looks like model spirituality. Think about it. They're God centered, there's concern for truth as a priority. Their lifestyle lines up with the truth, living by the word of God. They're concerned with personal piety. They are very dialed into their spiritual lives. It's important to note in this text that no argument is needed to support these practices because they're assumed. They're assumed to be a part of life with God. And no argument is advanced against these practices to suggest that they should be given up To approach spirituality through a different mode. However, through the prophet, the Lord identifies a problem. A fatal flaw with their spirituality. And you see it in verse 3. Look at verse 3. You seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. You seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. The primary problem with their spirituality and their practices is what you might call spiritual narcissism. Spiritual narcissism. The only concern of their spirituality, the aim of their disciplines, was their own personal interest, their own positive emotional experience with God, and their own growth in spiritual knowledge. What they sought from God, they sought for themselves. What they desired from God... They desired for themselves. What they asked of God, they asked for themselves. And they're rebuked roundly for this spiritual narcissism. But we know this narcissistic approach to spirituality all too well, don't we? This is precisely what the American church has taken from American culture. Modernity has placed self-actualization at the top of the list of human needs. Y'all familiar with Maslow's Pyramid? All right. Just to let y'all know, I know about that. Every once in a while, you got to dust some things off. But at the top of the hierarchy, even in psychological study today, at the very top, what everyone is out for is self-actualization. 
Life is all about me reaching my full potential in every way. You know what it sounds like? I got to do me. And then our friends say, you do you. Do you, boo. Well, when my life is all about me reaching my full potential, spirituality, hear me, is reduced to a mere tool that I use. A spoke in my wheel in which I am the hub. You see it? In modern life, this means that I will dabble in spirituality. I will use the spiritual disciplines. I will come to church as long as I find them helpful on my quest to maximize my potential. I will deal with God as long as I find him useful. But the minute these don't align with my plan to reach my self-defined potential, I'm done. I'll change up. And we tend to think of this as being authentic, but it really boils down to cold, calculating self-interest. That's what it boils down to. By the way, the idea of being authentic, it comes from a philosopher named Martin Heidegger. In other words, that's where it begins. It doesn't begin in Scripture. Be authentic. What does that even mean? Most of the time, I determine what authenticity entails. It's self-defined. I am answering a call that I myself issue. You see? How many times have you heard someone say, of the Christian life or the Christian practices, I tried that, but it's not working? How many times have you said it? Here's the translation on that. I'm not really interested in formation. I'm after self-actualization. I'm not interested in what God will do in me or through me. I'm only interested in what God can do for me. That's the translation. The interpretive question applied to every decision and action is this. What's in it for me? And though everybody acknowledges that selfishness is bad, here's the thing. Many of us only address selfishness superficially, which multiplies its strength. It multiplies its strength. Selfishness thrives under our self-deception and low barriers. We have a pretty low barrier for what qualifies as not being selfish when it comes to ourselves. I'm preaching to myself too, y'all. <laughs> Christian book bestsellers. It makes me sad, but I want you to listen to these in, in light of what I'm saying and in light of what we've read in Isaiah 58. Listen to these. Your best life now, living at your full potential. Eight million copies sold. That's a lot of books in case you don't know that world. The world of publishing and book selling. That's a lot of books. Okay. Girl, wash your face. Stop believing the lies about who you are so you can become who you were meant to be. But we moderns have a second problem. There's narcissism, but we have a second problem. If the first problem of our spirituality is narcissism, the second is dualism. And you can hear this dualism in our language. Now, if you are not a Christian... You don't profess the Christian faith. You don't belong to a church. None of that. 
It's very possible that you may belong in the camp that has been termed spiritual but not religious. Spiritual but not religious. And what that means, according to uh, a recent Barna survey, is personal and private religion or spirituality without external authority, institutions, or obligations to anybody but myself. Spiritual, not religious, means I'm detached from institutions, I'm, a, I'm detached from any external authority over me, and I'm not obligated to anybody else around me. So basically, I call the shots, and what I do is to make myself feel good and reach my potential. Okay? That's what it was determined through surveys that spiritual, not religious, means. Okay. But we Christians talk about our spiritual life. (laughs) But what this often means for us is that regular life is decidedly not spiritual. My spiritual life is this nice, cozy little corner of my life that I dust off every once in a while or once a week or maybe a few times a week if I'm really concerned about my spiritual life. But what we do Think about what we do with the rest of our lives according to this thinking, this dualism, this false dichotomy. I like the way that Orthodox theologian uh, Alexander Schmemann puts it. He writes this. Listen to this quote. It's fire. He says, The religion of this fallen world cannot heal or redeem it, for it has accepted the reduction of God to an area called sacred, spiritual, supernatural, as opposed to the world, as profane. Here it is. You ready for this? It has accepted the all-embracing secularism, which attempts to steal the the world away from God. I'm going to say that again. It has accepted the all-embracing secularism, which attempts to steal the world away from God. Christians have sung for a long time, this is my father's world. But what secularism has done is it has stolen the world away from God. And we have allowed that thinking to take shape in our own hearts. So we think there's my spiritual life and then there's my regular life. What I'm looking for is growth in my spiritual life. And never the two shall meet, actually. It's not not a part of this mode of thinking. It's not possible because that's just the ordinary life. It's just taking care of kids. It's just going to a job. It's just doing my taxes or, or raking the leaves in my yard. That's my ordinary life. It's just hobbies and hanging out with my friends. That's ordinary. There's nothing spiritual about that. But that thinking cannot be more false. That's a false dichotomy. It's a dualism. I think the Schmemann quote is helpful for challenging our language and our thinking as it relates to spirituality. Many philosophers, Christian philosophers and Christian theologians have unpacked the idea that what modernity has done. And when I'm talking about modernity, I'm talking about the, the, the period in time where people said, I'm, I think religion is a sham. I'm done with religion. I'm going to explain everything through rationality and science. That's, that's my approach to life. What my eyes can see, empirical data, that's how I'm going to make moves in my life. What... Christian philosophers and theologians have uh, unpacked is the idea that what 
modernity has done, what the Enlightenment has done, is it has disenchanted the world. It used to be the case that people understood that there was more to the world than meets the eye. They understood spiritual forces at work. They understood that there there were forces of darkness and evil in this world that mere human actions could not explain. They understood that there was more behind beauty than the material in front of us. They understood the world as enchanted. It was helpfully put in an article by a philosopher, Jamie Smith. He, he called it have, uh, uh, thinking in tongues. And he talked about how a lot of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters are, 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 are the way back for us. Because they are attuned to spiritual realities that are beyond this material world. And we have become so sophisticated, so influenced by modernity, that we've allowed the world to become disenchanted. We've lost the wonder. We've lost the astonishment that this, this world is, is brimming with God. Rather than the false dichotomy that separates our spiritual life from our regular life, we must see that all of life and all of creation brings us into communion with God. Dallas Willard, a Christian philosopher, professor at USC, I believe, puts it this way. Spirituality in human beings is not an extra or superior mode of existence. It's not a hidden stream of separate reality, a separate life running parallel to our bodily existence. It does not consist of special inward acts, even though it has an inner aspect. It is, rather, a relationship of our embodied selves to God that has the natural and irrepressible effect of making us alive to the kingdom of God here and now in the material world. You you see, it's about making us alive to the kingdom of God right now in the material world. That's what spirituality is. Narcissism and dualism are difficult problems in modern Christian spirituality, but our text gives us the the right priority in our spirituality, which brings us to our second point, the priority in our practices. Now, look at verse 6. God identifies, he runs through a list of practices they are taking up and ambitions that they have related to their spirituality. These are not impious people. They care about piety. They care about following God. They care about knowing theology and all this stuff. But look at what the Lord says. Check it out. Verse 6. Here's the corrective. Is not this the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Do you see it? If you look at verses 8 through 12, you see the heart of true and healthy spirituality. If spirituality is to be true, healthy, vital, here it is, it must be lived out for the life of the world for God's sake. And the result that we see in the text, if you look at these verses, 8 through 12, the result is witness 
Then shall your light break forth, healing, righteousness, the glory of the Lord as a, as a protection, intimacy with God, guidance from God, satisfied desire, strength, refreshment, renewal. Do you see it? The Christian practices, the Christian disciplines are meant to order our life in the world for the life of the world. The practices are meant to order our life in the world for the life of the world. This is what we see in the text. The heart of our spirituality is God and neighbor. To be very simple, Jesus was not was not lying. He was not missing it. When he distilled it all down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the summary of God's way of life. This is what we are to practice for. This is our grand why that we must never lose connection with. But here's the question, y'all. Here's the question. Where does this come from? Where does this way of thinking, this way of life, this mode of spirituality, where does it come from? Where do we see this framework in its purest essence? We must turn to Jesus Christ. He embodies the practices of verses 1 through 3, but for the purpose of doing verses 6 through 12. You get it? The good news is that Jesus ordered his life in the world for the life of the world. It wasn't about Jesus reaching his full potential. It was about full atonement, full renewal, and fullness of joy for his people. That's why the spirit of the Lord was upon him, he says in Luke chapter 4, to come and break people's chains, to set people free to get the captives out of prison, to declare the year of Jubilee in every single possible way. This was not just a spiritual declaration. This was both material and spiritual. You see, it's the material and the immaterial. God cares about it all. It's all under his domain. And we see this modeled in the life of Jesus. But not just modeled. It's in the practices of Jesus that he takes away our sin. That he provides a perfect righteousness for us. It's in the practices of Jesus that we learn a new way of being as God's people. We learn a new way of communion with God. Not the way of communion through climbing. But the way... Of communion through the practices of grace. This is, this is what we see in the gospel. And his practice was the redemption of the world, which means ours is a participation in that very work, y'all. Ours is a participation. When we take up these practices, we're participating in the same work of Jesus. We're participating in this for the life of the world when we take up the practices with that intent. What I'm telling you is this. Spiritual disciplines are important and valuable. The church historic has recognized that. And that historic church reaches around the globe. 
It's the common wisdom and, 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 and guidance of the church about how we are to live our lives before God and in communion with one another. But I'm, I'm trying to tell you that it matters what you're aiming at when you do these practices. Is it just to get your pick-me-up? Is it just to get your motivation? Is it just to make yourself feel better? One author said that's treating the Christian life like heroin. I thought it was a striking thing to say. I need a fix. I need a fix. And that's what we come through these doors for. And if I don't get my fix, well, then I'm bummed out. It was just how was service. It was all right. Right? It's always going to be all right when I'm up here. Right? I'm okay with that. Because spirituality is about much more than your emotional fix or your pick-me-up. It's about aiming you, redirecting you to the life of the world. And in that way, you become like your Savior. You are conformed to the beauty and likeness of Christ only in as much as your life and your practices are aimed at the life of the world. With this priority in place, we can lean against the narcissism of our age. With this priority in place, we can lean against the dualism of our age to live in a world that's absolutely brimming and pulsing with his presence. We recognize there are are no ordinary people around us. We recognize that every sunset and every leaf and blade of grass and, and bird we see flying, they're all signposts and they're directing us and they can bring us into communion with God right now. Before the fall, the entire world was this table, communion. All of it. And all the world is bound up in that table, that bread and that wine. Think about it. It's all in there. If you have a mind to see it. The practices help us to maintain the kind of awareness, wonder, and worship that deeply shapes our encounter with the world. What are we practicing for when we take up the spiritual practices, the the, the Christian disciplines? We're practicing for the life of the world and anything less. It gets the rebuke of God. It's too small. It's too small an aspiration. I'm going to close with this. Listen, I want you to think about it. Think about if we got into the rhythm. Think about if we got into the rhythm with God's music. And now, now many of us think about the Christian life as something like the moonwalk. Some people can do it, some extraordinary dancers, but most people, that's off limits. I can't moonwalk. But, but what I'm telling you is this. The Christian life is more like the electric slide. And everyone can get in and get the steps, and pretty soon we're all dancing together. And guess what? I dare you to watch the electric slide happening and not want to get in on that, right? When we start moving to the rhythm, when we start, when we start getting in step together, then maybe others will want to join us. Maybe they'll want to be a part of this. Maybe they'll want to taste this love and this grace and this welcome And this belonging. Let it be the case that over the next few weeks, as we engage these disciplines, we engage with a mind to live for the life of the world.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.